I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. I don't believe in that. Have you ever heard that in a dental office? How do we properly accommodate religious beliefs in a dental office? My name is Olivia Wan, and I'll be your moderator today. Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. Resources we mention during our podcast can be found on the Compliance Divas website. Please submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. So under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, employers must reasonably accommodate sincerely held religious beliefs. Perhaps you've been asked to join in prayer at a morning huddle, or there's been questions raised about different religious practices. I would like to start out by interviewing Mary to help us understand what is the meaning of sincerely held religious beliefs. Mary. Thanks, Olivia. This is a tricky, tricky subject because the meaning of sincerely held religious belief really lies with an individual. A religious belief or practice doesn't have to be, although many times it is, it does not have to be part of a formal religion such as Christianity or Judaism. Um, It can be something that's a very personal belief, but it must be something that is sincerely held and meaningful according to the um, EEOC. And it also goes to the credibility of an individual. So for example, if someone said that their religious belief was that they didn't believe in a particular concept, but their behavior was so contrary to that, one might question their sincerely held belief. So it's up to an employer to determine, and and that's, again, a, a very tricky thing, to determine whether or not the belief is sincerely held. So here's an example that we've seen that's very relevant and and very recent in dental practices. There have been vaccine mandates for COVID-19 in quite a few states, and there have been employees who did not want to receive the vaccine for whatever reason, and they claimed the sincerely held belief exemption. And some of those exemptions were challenged in the courts. In one particular case that I'm aware of, um, the employees did not have a sincerely held belief against vaccines until the COVID-19 vaccine. And so they joined a religious group, an online religious group that espoused that 
um, vaccines were were evil and and a number of other of things anti-vaccine um, philosophies. And the courts determined that they did not have that sincerely held religious belief prior to COVID. Um, and so that it would not apply because they adopted that particular belief because of COVID and their objection to the vaccine. So again, it's it's kind of an ambiguous, um, murky sort of a situation for employers to um, look at and to take into consideration because certainly it can be a discriminatory practice. Good points, Mary. So according to EOC, religious practices could include the moral or ethical beliefs as to what is right or wrong. And as you mentioned, it's sincerely held like a religious, traditional religious view. But one of the things I wanted to add to what you said, which is, is really important for management to evaluate, is that the EEOC does not protect beliefs merely because someone feels very strongly about it. So whether a practice is religious depends on the employee's motivation. And one thing to note is that social or political or even economic philosophies are not protected as religious beliefs under Title VII. So that's important to recognize. And I think you gave a really good analogy of that. Mary, what if a person, an employee, has no religious beliefs? Are they too protected under Title VII? Yes, they are still protected under Title VII. Um, and I'm going to defer to you, Olivia, to explain why. It may be that the individual has no religious belief and that is their religion, whether they are agnostic or atheist. So just like we would respect employees who practice a certain religion, we must also respect those who do not have a professed religion and tread very carefully in the work environment. I would like to interview now Linda to discuss with us situations where the employer would not be obligated to provide a, an accommodation. Linda, how can you help us understand that? Olivia, much like Mary said, uh, this situation has the potential to be very delicate because sincerely held religious beliefs are very individualized. Um, however, under this title of the federal government, the employer does not have to provide a reasonable accommodation that would cause undue hardship to the employer. And so, as you mentioned, the undue hardship cannot just be uh, someone's opinion or, or, you know, because they don't want to comply or work with the employee. The employer has to use more than just generalized conclusions to su suffice their, um, say, denial of uh, our undue hardship. So in order to determine undue hardship, it should be based on several factors that EEOC explains. And that is one, any nature and cost of the accommodation, if there's any that's needed. Uh, any overall financial resources of the facility, say the practice or the organization, that would be needed to make the accommodation reasonable. Uh, the number of uh, employees uh, at the facility, the effect and expense on the resources of the facility, those are some things to start with. And again, going into the financial, just the overall financial resources for this, if any needed for this accommodation. And then the type of the operation of the employer, 
including the structure and functions of the workplace or, or separateness of different locations. So is it possible to allow, let's say, uh, the example of you know, prayer in the workplace, is it possible to make that reasonable accommodation given the size and function of the office and layout? Um, and just those are some key factors to look at as far as the nature and cost of the accommodation. Now, an employer cannot claim undue hardship based on an employee's fears or prejudice towards other individuals as well. So just because someone else may not like it, it can't, we can't uh, discriminate against either one, but each employee has a right to uh, ask for a reasonable accommodation. And this undue hardship uh, that we're talking about cannot be based on the fact that provision of a reasonable accommodation might have a negative impact on the morale of other employees either. So the employers do bear the responsibility to show that the undue hardship um, for reasonable accommodation would be unduly disruptive to other employees' ability to work, Olivia. Great information, Linda. Thanks for that explanation about undue hardship. Leslie, we would love for you to elaborate on just what is an, a religious accommodation. Certainly, Olivia. Well, there's guidance that was published by the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, back in 2014 that allows workplace accommodations for employees who have sincerely held religious, religious beliefs that require them to dress or groom themselves in a particular manner. So let's take a look at uh, what we might consider. I and mean, if some people may be wearing certain uh, types of, of head covering, or there may be certain style of their hair that they must uh, have in order to comply with their religious beliefs. An applicant or an employee may need a reasonable accommodation so that he can practice or observe his religion. For example, an applicant may ask to reschedule an interview that's on a religious holiday, or an employee may request an exemption to the no hats rule uh, in order to wear a religious head covering like a yarmulke or a hijab. So the law protects people who belong to traditional organized religions, such as Buddhism or Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, Sikhism, as well as people who have newer or less common religious beliefs and atheists. So employers should consider the request and don't automatically refuse an accommodation request or have an inflexible policy that doesn't allow for exceptions. Be sure and review each request individually. Avoid assumptions about religious beliefs or practices or appropriate accommodations. And employers should discuss the request with the applicant or employee if needed to ensure that the employer understands the employee's religious needs and available accommodation options. For example, here's an employee that requests a schedule change so, so he or she can attend a religious service. The employer may want to discuss when the service is taking place and the conflicts posed by that employee's uh, current schedule so the employer can determine whether a schedule adjustment is possible. 
And then also um, the employer should provide an effective accommodation unless doing so would require a more than minimal cost based on the resources and the operation of the employer's business. Employers should also be receptive to additional accommodation requests. An employee's religious beliefs and work responsibilities may change over time, resulting in additional or alternative accommodation requests. That's really good information as well, Leslie. Thank you for sharing that. I'd like to change gears just a little bit and talk about how dress and grooming could be affected and how do we not compromise safety issues in a dental office, particularly related to infection control. Mary, can you share your thoughts on beards and respirators? This has become a real sticking point in dental practices because beards on men, of course, will interfere with the seal of a respirator and they interfere with fit testing. And so there is then the issue of accommodating someone for whom having facial hair is part of a sincerely held religious belief. So there has to be an alternative for them, um, either wearing a different type of a face mask as opposed to a respirator, or perhaps wearing a papper device, which then doesn't require the use of a respirator. But again, an employer may run into that situation where someone may say it's a sincerely held religious belief that I have this facial hair, but it may not be. But that has become a very big sticking point in asking someone to shave their facial hair in order to accommodate the respirator becomes a very, very difficult situation. Great information, Mary. So that's something to think about in setting up infection control policies and discussing PPE. Linda, what can you share with us about head coverings and veils? Olivia, I'd like to just share my experience in speaking with some doctors and team members over the years that wear head coverings. Because at first, just personally, I was curious because I didn't know. I, I was concerned that infection control, from the infection control perspective, that the individuals may be going home with extra spray and splatter on their head coverings. And so when you think about it, one perspective that was shared with me was, well, everybody's going home. This is pre-COVID now, okay? So I want to, I'll let you qualify that, Olivia. That one comment was, well, everyone else in the office is going home with spray and splatter all over their hair, and you can't take off your hair. Um, so I think that's uh, has to be looked at just practically from every perspective. Um, I think it's good now that with COVID, um, dental teams are wearing head coverings to protect your natural hair or protect your head covering. Um, I did suggest in one case that the individual might like to tuck her scarf underneath um, her scrub jacket to kind of just protect it from getting extra spray and splatter on it. So I think just some practical things um, that would just help with any way for anybody who needs to be cautious, and we all do, of uh, uh, cross-contamination in a dental setting. Those are some good points, Linda. Thank you. And then we could think about from an HR perspective, what about nose piercings? For example, in my law office, our policy is that no facial piercing is visible during working hours. It doesn't matter to me if they have them, but while we're working with law clients, they should not be visible. 
But that is not the case if nose piercing is part of someone's religion. The employer would make an accommodation for that. For example, nose piercing is a practice embraced by Indian women, and having a pierced nose has been a sacred ceremony in the Hindu religion. So if that is the case and you have an employee that practices that faith system, then the employer would accommodate that religious belief and allowing them to have visible nose piercing. There's some other things to think about too, such as days off. You may have a floating holiday rather than certain Christian holidays that we're more familiar with. So whether someone is Jewish or Muslim, that they could choose the holiday that they practice. And even the way the office is decorated, if we have non-Christians in the workplace, then perhaps we could consider a winter scene rather than a more typical nativity scene, or even having an end of year uh, party or uh, gathering rather than just having it labeled as a Christmas gathering. So there's some things that the employer can reasonably do to make everyone feel included. So let's go back to my earlier example of praying at the morning huddle. Now, when I have been on site working with clients and I've been asked to join in on the morning huddle and they have a prayer, that does not offend me. I'm very happy to join them and listen to their sincere prayer and participate with them. But the word of caution that we have is that it cannot be mandatory so that if someone does not want to participate in a morning prayer, that they could be relieved of that without any retaliation. And so this needs to be something that they can opt out of. Any thoughts from any of the other divas about some practices? Mary, what can you share? Just wanted to um expand on what you had said. I've also been um, invited to participate in a morning prayer. And I one of the clients that I worked with had some employees who were very uncomfortable with that. And so they would opt out. And then it created little rifts on the team. So what the doctor decided to do was to have a morning inspiration where they would make it sort of non-sectarian, it it would simply be motivational or inspirational things that didn't have any particular religious focus. And that made the employees more comfortable and it kept them together. And then those employees who truly wanted to pray in the morning did it in a separate group that didn't make everyone else uncomfortable. So there's a lot of ways we can um, accommodate that. But that I see that as a very common thing. And my religious faith said that's a great way to start the day. But we also have to understand that it may be offensive to others. Good suggestion. I like those ideas. Leslie, what can you share with us? Well, to expand a little bit on that reasonable accommodation, an example that actually occurred in a case where the employer prevailed was where an instrument a process, an instrument company, a surgical instrument manufacturer with a hygiene rule for employees involved in the process of sterilizing instruments involved, uh, asked employees to be clean shaven. 
and a Sikh employee refused to shave his beard, but the employer offers to allow him to wear two face masks instead of shaving his beard. The employee refused the offer and filed an EEOC charge. So according to the EEOC, the employer would prevail because it offered a reasonable accommodation. So in keeping with uh, accommodating these religious beliefs, we want to make sure that the, there is uh, some a little bit of creativity on how an employer would accommodate an employee. And there's got to be a little give on from the employee as well in order for this to work. Good points. And so it may be challenging, but if employers are reasonable and clever, they can, can come up with ways to accommodate everyone in the workforce. As the compliance divas, we bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. Any resources that we mention will be available on our website. Thanks for tuning in.